Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. This has been a very big story and one that I was involved with quite uh, deeply. Uh, word coming in on Monday that Dellen Millard will, in fact, uh, appeal his conviction. And, and this does not shock me at all. It, it can disgust you, but it should not also shock you either. Uh, going back, uh, both Millard and Mark Smith were convicted, of course, of first-degree murder just a couple of weeks ago. And since this is the harshest penalty one can get, then it's not shocking that an appeal is filed. Smitch already declared he will appeal, and his lawyer, Tom Dungy, will not say on what grounds for that, but did say that he has, quote-unquote, strong grounds for that appeal. Now, you'll, you'll recall during the trial that Millard's lawyer tried to convince the jury that it was a desperate Mark Smitch who pulled the trigger, that Millard panicked after Smitch shot Bosma and then just tried to help his friend with the cover-up that it was Millard who was an accessory after the fact, not a murderer. But both of these guys pointed the finger of blame at each other. Smitch took the stand. Millard did not, something apparently he was quite angry about. You know, for the Bosmas in this, who seem to be forgotten most times, you know, this is just the beginning of a brand new chapter of legal issues, and they'll face this for many, many, many years to come because... If they're not dealing with appeals issues, they'll be dealing with other court cases involving these two. And then, of course, come time for parole, if that time comes, they'll have to go through that process again. And so that's who I think of. But that's not who generally the system or or lawyers think of because they're thinking of all things legal. So let's bring in a legal mind who I like a lot, Lorne Honigman, criminal lawyer out of Toronto. Good to have you, sir. Hello. Nice to hear you on the radio. Isn't it nice? I like yeah. radio. Hey, if you'd known radio was more fun than TV, wouldn't you have switched a long time ago? Yeah, no, no, I know. And I have, uh, I have a great time, you know, substitute hosting on uh, AM640. And you're absolutely right. Both of us, careers in television, you go into radio. And, uh, and unlike you, I do have a face for radio. So that's the difference. <laughs> and you got the smarts for both. So you're lucky. Let's, let's talk, obviously, this case yeah. is a very, very big case here in Hamilton. But I would suggest that it's, it's in history going to be one of Canada's big historical types of cases. And and word coming out, Lauren, that, that there'll be an appeal. And, and you likely are not surprised. Yeah, you know, Alex, it was, I guess it was 50 years ago when uh, Bob Dylan wrote what one of the greatest, called the greatest song of all time, like a Rolling Stone. And in it, he says, when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And when somebody is convicted of first degree murder, sent to prison, in, to jail, no parole eligibility, 25 years, the most severe charge and sentence in the criminal code you don't have anything to lose, so it is no surprise. Now, what will be interesting, of course, uh, notwithstanding its, quote, no surprise, will be the grounds of appeal. Mm -hmm. And you cover that trial on a daily basis, so you have a much better insight into it. But that, to me, is always, even in these types of cases where you go, yeah, you know, this particular convicted murderer has nothing to lose, but the trial was interesting, quote, unquote, from a legal point of view for many, many different reasons. And, of course, Dellen Millard did not testify, as you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, his co-accused did. And because he didn't testify, it became problematic, did it not, with respect to his lawyer trying to point the finger at Smitch. Sure. And, and from an evidentiary point of view. In other words, a lawyer's questioning, no matter how severe it may be and no matter what type of inkling we get into a 
into the mind of the other through their lawyer. It's not evidence. So the fact of the matter that, you know, you, uh, a lawyer is pointing the finger at another um, accused, but that accused, uh, the first accused doesn't take the stand. It raises all sorts of legal issues, and I know the, the judge in this case made a lot of important decisions along those lines. So if that, I, I no doubt, will see, you'll see something about that, or, or I'm guessing you'll yeah. see something like that in the notice of appeal. And interesting that you brought that up, because Justice Goodman several times during, during his uh, instruction to the jury, also known as a charge, made it very clear that unless something on the stand is agreed to by that person, it's not evidence. It's just a theory and or a suggestion. So that's what you're talking about. Yeah, so that, that becomes very important. Because the, the interesting thing, had Dylan Millard actually testified, mm-hmm. so now you have him on the stand saying Smitch was the bad guy, he did it all, and Smitch is on the stand saying, no, uh, Millard's the bad guy. Well, then, of course, then the jury is going to weigh back and forth and decide who is um, who they believe, or how much they believe of, of any of them or, or none of them, etc. But when you don't have one testifying, and it basically comes through counsel. And, of course, there's the other many, many rulings that, that took place. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong about this, Alex, but my understanding was that in a lot of the um, rulings dealing with evidence that the jury, quote, didn't hear, those were a lot of rulings that went in Mr. Millard's favor, if I understand correctly. A lot of things that, was, that were out there that the jury never heard about. I don't know if he made any other rulings that would have been adverse to Mr. Millard, and of course, that may play as well into the appeal. But Well, well let me stop you there, because the, the, the one that does come to mind about the two guns, the fact that the jury didn't hear that there were two guns, and so if I'm Millard's lawyer, and, right. and I, I'm not speaking for them, I'm just throwing this out there because you're a criminal lawyer, I mean, that that to me would be an issue because if there were two guns, then that would automatically, you know, put the jury to have to think, okay, well, there are two guns. So it's very possible, you know, That's that right. Smitch played a bigger role than he claimed to have played. Yeah. And of course, the, the, what we're doing here is yeah. understandably speculation. But what everybody has to understand, especially when it comes to the uh, appeal of a jury verdict, when you go through the, the history of, of appeal decisions where a court of appeal make a decision to send a case back to trial, so much of those decisions are, and I, I don't know the exact percentage, but I will, I can safely say the majority of verdicts that, let's say, get overturned or sent back to trial all deal very much so with the judge's charge to the jury. Mm-hmm. There may have been um, uh, alleged mistakes in what a judge may have said or, or errors, but it all goes down to errors of law that were made there because in a jury trial, of course, the juries, as you heard Alex in this trial probably many times from Justice Goodman, are the judges of the facts. Yes. And it's very hard, if, all, if not impossible, to ever to, uh, to try and, and appeal based on a, a perverse verdict, i.e., you know, a jury comes out with a verdict notwithstanding the facts point into a different direction. So that leaves the, the legal issues, and the legal issues usually center on what did the judge do or what did the judge not do. So it'll be interesting to see what the notice of appeal says. It always is, but you said it best when you started this discussion, absolutely. Uh, no surprise whatsoever. Well, hey, what, what else do these guys have to do? I mean, uh, other than make the Bosmas suffer just a little bit more. But but going back to your point about the charge, and, and this is where I take issue with charges, because I've covered several. They're like uh, almost a form of torture in the sense that you, I mean, they're so technical. They're supposed to be there for the jury as a 
an instruction of how they can do their job. But to me, they are just so complicated. If I don't understand it and I cover the courts, how on earth are, are, you know, 12 regular people supposed to understand it? And it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that judges today more and more are writing their charges always with the appeal in mind, maybe not so much for the juries. No, I, you know, I and I and I've heard that 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 concern before, Alex, and I I can tell you that I don't agree with that. But let me give you uh, some background on judges' charges to the jury. Uh, there are what we call specimens, where they they have precedents out there on on many of these charges. So how juries helping juries walking through some basics, like how do you get to first degree murder, and mm-hmm. how do you get to second, and what you need or whatever. And many of these, I guess, to use the vernacular, would be boilerplate. A lot of times they're there. They have been gone over. They and courts of appeal have have examined them before and have said this is the proper way to do it. So judges judges aren't really making that part up at all. The hard part, of course, for a jury, because they're, quote, the judges of the facts, is to take the facts and then apply it to the law that's given by the judge. And I don't disagree with you. Sometimes it can be very complicated. Sometimes it, it's hard to, to understand. But, but you know, I, I've seen, I have such faith in the, in the jury system in this country, the criminal jury system. Mm-hmm. If we talked about civil juries, that would be a whole other conversation because of different parameters of what happens in, in, in a civil case. But in a criminal case, in determining whether or not the Crown has proven a case beyond a reasonable doubt based on the charge I, I there's yes many times it's complicated but juries will work through it and the other thing that's important to remember is the types of questions that a jury may ask during its deliberations a lot of times that will give you an idea yes. and sometimes you'll say whoa they really didn't get it and the judge has to recharge again and make them understand the difference between these these charges a lot of times You'll, you'll get juries, they'll be out maybe for three, four, five days. They'll come back with certain questions, and it's very, it gives you a tiny little window into that jury room as to what may be a concern to the jury. And a lot of times, it's not this confusion about what the charge is or, or what the law may be. And, of course, in, in this case, in this case, dealing with the issue of first-degree murder versus second-degree murder, the issue of planned and deliberate, and it added, and you're correct, the, you have now two accused, and that they have to come up with a verdict separate and apart, and they also have to be, apply the, the different parts of the criminal code that deal with the principal offender, who can be a party to an offense, who's an aider and a better, and how they all can be, how somebody can be found guilty but not actually pulling the trigger, etc. I don't disagree with you. It adds more layers of complication to it, but I can tell you from my experience, both as a reporter way back when covering trials on a daily basis, and then as a lawyer being in court all the time, juries do work through it, and mm-hmm. it, it, and the charges are, most of the time, are very succinct and understandable. Yeah, and in this case, I know it's been reported that it was five days of deliberations. In fact, if you condense the hours of what they actually sat it was about two and a half days uh, because right. one of the days was was dealing with a sick juror and they didn't really go out on the first day. So I thought they were actually very fast in coming back with such a tough uh, job. I mean, really, there was only one way they could come back to first degree in this, and that was on planned uh, and deliberation uh, right. to carry this out. I mean, it was a, a the bar was set high, but I think the Crown did the, the jury a really big service in its closing when it said, don't worry about who shot Tim Bosma. Yeah, it's really just, did important. they plan? And, and, and that was yeah. right in law. 
if that if that wasn't right in law, Justice Goodman would have corrected it yes. immediately. Yes. And uh, well, he did and, in and the charge. Was, <laughs> and that became and that became important. But listen, uh, so so now we got Del- Dylan Millard, who is given notice through his counsel about a notice of appeal. Um, I guess it won't be any shock if perhaps we hear from Mr. Smitch's counsel in the next within the next week or so. Yeah. As far as whether there's an appeal there. Tom Decker, well, he did he did say on day one that they will and have strong grounds for an appeal. So I think the formality of that is coming. He, he likely took a, a, a bit of a vacation after that trial. Right. Um, but let me ask you this, because, you know, Michael Rafferty, who, who uh, killed Tory Stafford, um, yeah. you know, he made news uh, in the last couple of weeks requesting a new trial on the grounds that too much weight was given to the main witness, who was his girlfriend, Terry Lynn McClintock, who ended up pleading out to first degree. Um, And that's to be heard in October. That case goes back, you know, six, six, seven years. So what's the timeline as far as the appeal? You know, they've got 30 days, obviously, from when they're convicted to to file the paperwork. But why is that one taking so long? And what are we looking at as far as a window for this one? First and foremost, there's some administrative practical aspects of an appeal you have to get the entire transcript of the trial. Yeah. So that, that, that usually is the longest part of what, what the wait is, because the, the court reporting office, you know, you can imagine, uh, let, let's look at the trial we're talking about here, the Millard-Smitch trial. Sure. Four months of evidence, um, that's a lot of transcripts, that's a lot to, uh, uh, to reproduce. So that, that, that's part of it. And then, then of course, there's uh, the scheduling aspects, there's the legal arguments. But listen, I've got to tell you something, Alex. I don't disagree that, that uh, anybody who in, here in Canada, I, I defend the, the Canadian justice system uh, against the American justice system. I'd, ha- I'd rather have it nine times out of ten being here in Canada than the U.S. I know people in the U.S. love the sentencing there when somebody gets sent to prison for 6,000 years, and they think, oh, that's wonderful. I know, I understand that, and I've, I've talked many times why, why if you want to take that part of the system, you've got to take everything else. But one thing that they do there, much better than we do, 100%, is get their cases to trial and appeal within, within what, what we would call a proper and expeditious uh, time. Like, like it, it, I, I, could, I, was, I, was in a, I just finished my own trial in London. I was in a trial for two weeks. And while I was there, I'm reading the paper one morning, and I see that in the U.S., the case dealing with Led Zeppelin and yeah. Spirit, the copyright case, in it went out. to court. It went before a jury. Everything happened within six months. Yeah, I know. It's amazing how different the systems are. Yeah, so, so, so I don't, I don't disagree that, you, you know, you shake your head and you say sometimes, wow, that, like using the, the case, uh, the Stafford case in, in, um, in, in Orangeville uh, as, as an example. Uh, uh, Rafferty case, I should yeah. say. I understand that, yeah, okay, that's, uh, it's been a long time, and you, and you, and Administratively, I, I get it, but I, on the other hand, I can understand why people sometimes say, "What, what, what takes so long here?" Yeah, well, welcome to the slow wheels of Canadian justice. But I'm glad you could give us some clarity on it. Obviously, we'll uh, look for forward instruction on this uh, from Smitch's counsel, as you said, Lauren. My, uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for yeah, coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Talk Fun. to you soon for sure.